This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Because if you can tell me what your habits are, I can tell you what sort of a person you are. I can tell you what your future looks like. But like I always say, life is 10% what happens to you. It's 90% what you do about it. The people who are most effective in the workplace believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past. When people don't believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past, they begin to disengage. You're listening to The Circuit of Success, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve success in every facet of life, only on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Now, your host, Brett Gilliland. Welcome to The Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today I've got the privilege and the honor to uh, interview Reagan Moya Jones. How are you doing today, Reagan? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Brett. Awesome. Well, it's good to have you. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk about, as we were talking before we record, in my house, the company you built is called Bankies. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Aiden and Inez, you are the founder of that, the softest blankets I think I've ever felt in my entire life. Uh, started as a swaddle, swaddle blanket, I guess is the way you would say it, right, for babies. And, uh, but you are the founder of that. You are the mother of four girls. You are a wife, you are an entrepreneur, and you are an author. So you've got a lot of stuff cooking. Yeah, I know. I'm uh, no rest for the wicked, right? That's right. That's right. And you're from Australia. For those that are listening, can hear that nice Australian accent. I think most people from America, we could listen to Australians talk all day. Yeah, that's weird because I think we have an awful accent, very natural <laughs> stuff. And I always joke with Americans and say, well, from this side of the fence, it's you that has the accent, not me. So. That's right. Yeah, we're just the uh, guys with the southern accent is probably what you think. So, but uh, Reagan, maybe for the people that don't know who Reagan Moya Jones is, why don't you give us a little background on maybe who you were before you built this $100 million company and uh, just kind of what made you the woman you are today? Okay, well, as you mentioned, I was born and raised in Sydney, Australia and moved to New York in 1997 with my then boyfriend, now husband. We are only supposed to be here for two years. We came because he got a gig here as an electronic engineer and he came over to help set up the Australian office for our version of AT&T. So it was meant to be a two-year gig and uh, 22 years and four Mm. American daughters later, we're still here. So kind of plans changed a little bit. Um, So when I got here... Uh, I had Anae, the first of our four daughters, in uh, 2003, when looking for this blanket that is very common back home in Australia. Everyone I knew who had babies used 10 of them a day Hmm. and they didn't exist here. So very long story short, just saw a a market opportunity bringing a tried and true product from a small market in Australia to the Goliath, that is the U.S. Yeah. market, and that's how Aiden and Anae got started. Wow. So you just saw there's an opportunity there, and instead of just saying, gosh, I wish there was an opportunity, and just having somebody send them to you from Australia, you said, let's start a business, huh? That's exactly right. The biggest mistake most people make is they have the idea and don't follow through with it. So I was just one of the lucky ones that did. So walk us through that. So again, and this is, you know, this could be hours and hours of talking about that over maybe some good red wine or something, but we don't have that luxury today. But um, 
to your point, people have the idea, they don't follow through with it. Walk us through those early days because you also had a normal, I'm calling it normal job at that point, right? And you were doing that while building this other company. So talk to us about that. Yeah, I used to call the normal job the real job. <laughs> so that's exactly right. Uh, I was working as a salesperson at The Economist in oh, yeah. New York. And I started Aiden and Anae whilst I was still working full-time at The Economist. And I chose from 2003 when we had the idea till 2006 when we first went to market. For most entrepreneurs who have, especially if they've started a, a consumer products business, there was a lot of researching and sort of, you know, spasmatic sort of, stuff that went on in those first three years it wasn't really full-on until we actually went to market so uh, sort of researched how to build the business how to get the product made um, and then in 2006 went to market with the product and then I stayed working full-time at The Economist from 2006 to 2009 and I left my, uh, my real job, the day job, in 2009 once we'd got to a million dollars in revenue with Aiden and Anae because I had read that statistically uh, only 2% of all women-owned businesses ever get to a million dollars in revenue. Wow. So I thought once I'd done that, then I'd done something statistically pretty tough and so I would... Uh, you know, roll the dice and, and take the plunge and quit the day job and work full time at Aiden and A. Go all in. And so how do you take then a company from a million, which to mm -hmm. your point, 2%, right? Uh, right? Female business owners do that. How do you take it from 1 million to $100 million? A whole lot of hard work, fair amount of wine along the way as well. <laughs> Um, and quite honestly, it was just about surrounding myself with people that were way smarter than I was who, lucky for me, had a very similar work ethic that I did. And that's truly how I scaled it. Yeah. So talk about those people, for example. Were you the type of leader that said, hey, here's the vision? You know, you always hear Steve Jobs says, hire smart people, right? And then get out of their way. Show them a vision and get out of their way. Was that your leadership style or was there something else different about it? 100%. I always refer to Aiden and Anae as a true democracy. It didn't matter what, what role you had, whether you were the front desk person or the COO, your voice was equal at Aiden and Anae and, um, and everybody sort of contributed to the success of the yeah. business. So, yes, absolutely. Smart people and just let them do their let them do themselves, you know? Yeah. So talk to us about being a female executive, um, you know, climbing the ranks, doing the things you were doing. I was talking to our COO, Kate Solberger today, or actually Kate Hurt, sorry, she got married. Um, talking to her today and she talked about, you know, what was maybe the roadblocks that being a female uh, business owner that were put in front of you from whether that's for males or just being the female executive, what were some of those things and how did you get over that? Well, I definitely noticed it more when I was working in the corporate world. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that, and I'm, I'm grateful for it now, but I, I don't think a lot of the men that I worked for really believed I was capable of doing more than I was doing at the time sort of yep. thing, um, which motivated me to want to do my own thing. Um, and 
when it got to Aiden Eight, interestingly, and now that I've written a book and I did a whole lot of research around this, you know, around women and, and what we're up against to build a business from scratch in comparison to a man, at the time, I was naively unaware, I think, that I was probably being discriminated against as a woman because I think that in most part was because it just doesn't make any sense to me that a human would be treated differently because they're a woman and not a man. Right. So when I was being told no and doubted, I just thought that that was what happens to all entrepreneurs, whether it's about raising capital or yeah. people believing in you or whatever it might be. But having written the book and done a lot of research on this, I realised in hindsight that, yes, there were definitely times where I think the fact that I was a woman founder was working against me rather than for me. Yeah. And was that, would you, I mean, obviously there's perseverance, there's, there's courage, there's discipline, there's all these right words that we can use to describe that. But what was it about you specifically? Do you think that you just kind of put your head down and kept going forward and kept pushing through that brick wall? What was it about you that you were kind of those no miss things that you had to do every day? Well, you know, I'm definitely a type A tenacious kind of person. I don't do well with no, and I didn't do well with no before I started my own business. That was an inherent character trait in me. Um, But I think really in terms of, you know, this notion that it was harder for me because I was a woman, I would attribute a lot of that to naivety on my part for whatever reason because I'd experienced it a lot in the corporate world but it just didn't dawn on me that it was so hard because of that Um, but yeah I just believed so much in what I was doing I wanted to get it out there because I wanted other mums and parents to have this fabulous product that I know made a difference in my life as a parent with my kids so I was kind of like focused on that goal and it didn't matter what was thrown at me I just sort of I just push through it all. And so on the circuits of success, you know, we talk about attitude, we talk about beliefs, we talk about actions that ultimately get results. That belief system is critically important, right? So if we go to the market, me as a wealth management advisor, if I don't believe in our process, believe in our people, believe in what we do and how we serve our clients to help them achieve a future greater than their past, it's going to be really hard to go be successful, right? So what would you tell our listeners about belief and how did you foster that belief and grow that belief even when people were saying, nope, not going to happen, Reagan, not in here, you're not going to sell it, you're not doing this, you're not doing that. How did you continue to grow that belief in your product that obviously spoke for itself? Well, I think that, again, inherently I sort of had that in me as a a personality and a character trait, like... As, and, and I don't want to say that there weren't many moments throughout my journey where I was really wobbly, let's just say, where I had those quiet moments to myself going, what the hell am I doing? I don't know what the hell I'm doing. You know, this is ridiculous. But I never let on to anybody else that I was having those moments. I was very good at faking it, you know. So I think that I think you are either just born with that inner confidence or you're not. But I had to work on it because there was a lot of people, especially later in the game when I brought on investors, the wrong investors. And um, 
I think it's safe to say that they beat me down and mm. I definitely was always questioning because they didn't think I was good enough or capable. So it was hard to not take some of that on. Um, and, you know, it's just you, you really do just have to dig deep in yourself. I think we've all got it in there because there's always the haters. And I grew up in Australia where we have this thing called the tall poppy syndrome where if anyone is successful in Australia, there's a line around the block of other Aussies wanting to, you know, slap you on the side of the head going, don't get too carried away here. You're not uh, that great. Right. So I do think there's probably a cultural thing there as well. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that it's all up to you. You just have to really find it in yourself and despite everything that comes at you and any entrepreneur listening to this will know that everything is thrown at you more than you could possibly realise could happen in the yeah. beginning of the journey. You've just got to you've just got to sort of learn how to deflect it. Yeah. Otherwise it will it will crush you in the end of the day. So talk to us about, it's obviously we've all heard it's lonely at the top and there's a lot of people that are at the top listening to this podcast and and there are people that aspire to be at the top and will be there one day. But, you know, I think when people on the surface hear, oh, you know, Reagan's got a hundred million dollar annual revenue, you know, deal. She's making plenty of money. I'm not worried about her, right? But you get on this island by yourself and as crazy as it is, it's not easy at the top. Would you agree with that? So much so. Yeah. You know? and, and it goes back again to something I touched on a moment ago about you know, you've got to, there were definitely times where I had to fake it because what I realized is the team around me, they noticed everything. They noticed every, every mood I had, every look I gave, every, you know, so... Right. There were days when I wasn't feeling confident, when I was not sure of the right decision, you know, for something in the business. And um, I just sort of never let on that I wasn't sort of sure about it. And that, that, is, that is a lonely place to be. Yeah. You, you all fake it till you make it, right? <laughs> exactly. And I, you know, and to be clear, I did, you know, I never made a decision ever without involving the team, the company, really. Um, but at the end of the day, it was ultimately my decision to make. And, yeah, there were times where I pretended I knew what the hell I was doing and yeah. didn't really sort of thing. So, yeah. We'll just see where this goes, right? It's just kind of like, yeah, I think this is right. I'm pretty passionate about it. I believe in it, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, and, and interestingly enough, I might be on a tangent here, but the decision... Nope thing is what I was told over and over again by my team and the people around me was the thing that they admired most about me as a leader besides being a, an incredibly fair person who put humans before profitability I always did that um, was the fact that I would always make a decision and to be clear I didn't always make the right one but the team loved the fact that I always made a decision. Yeah. That's and a big deal too. And it takes a huge uh, amount of courage to do that, right? Because especially at the top like that, when you make a decision, so many people are going to have so many different emotions and feelings about it, right? And, and again, right. I think a lot of people say, oh, you know, you're at 100 million, you know, 
It's not that big a deal. Just make the decision. But when you focus on humans and, and Howard Bihar was on here uh, about a month ago, he was the uh, founding president of Starbucks. Right. And, and he always talks about people over coffee. Right? right. And you're saying the same thing, right? People over blankets. Absolutely. And we have to lead that way. And it's really tough. But talk to us about who you were before you were this successful person. What was, I mean, everybody's got a story, right? What was your upbringing like? You know, siblings, mom, dad, what they do for a living. What's your backstory? Well, I, I say to people, you know, I'm, I'm a very average person. And, and one of the main reasons I wrote the book was because I wanted people to really understand that there was nothing exceptional about me besides I followed through on an idea and I was prepared to work my ass off to make yep. it a success. And, you know, growing up, I grew up in a very working class family in the suburbs of Sydney. My dad was a... Uh, he was an accountant actually by profession but ended up in sales, started his own business. That went broke. My mum had to go back to work, mm. washing cars in a car yard to, so we didn't leave the, lose the house. Wow. I had a younger brother, a younger sister. We had a very, you know, normal Aussie upbringing. Yeah. Didn't come from a lot of money. Uh, but was always taught by my parents that you you have to work hard for everything you want in life. One of my dad's favourite sayings, which I'll never forget, is the only thing you start at the top of, Reagan, is digging a hole. Huh. So, you know, that sort of working class work ethic was instilled in me as a child by my parents. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I didn't take school or university very seriously. I went to uni in Australia and I lasted about four months and then I moved mm -hmm. to a tropical island and worked as a cocktail waitress, you know, <laughs> till my dad called me and said, all right, enough of that. You've got to come yeah. back now and get a job. Yes, and then I went into sales and that was because my dad was a salesperson and he said to me, I think you'd be a natural sales person so you mm. should try and find a job in sales. I was like, ah, okay. Mm. So um, I kind of just did that and he was right and I ended up always being pretty successful everywhere I worked in sales which ranged from hair care companies to Pfizer and Smith Klein Beecham and and wow. eventually in the US I at the Economist selling research and roundtables and things like that to corporate sponsors. Wow. So always sales. Unbelievable. I like it. And then just had a belief and a passion and a dream and you made it happen. But talk to us about the goal planning. I'm a I'm a huge planner and I love journaling and just kind of thinking about the vision, hence the name of our company, Visionary Wealth Advisors. What was your vision planning and your goal planning? What was it like? And then how did you make sure you held yourself accountable uh, to get those things done? Well, this is definitely going to do your head in, Brett, because one of the biggest fights I ever had with my husband, who's an electronic engineer, MBA, is like all the rest of it, complete antithesis to <laughs> yep. the crazy entrepreneurial wife that he has. <laughs> and one of the biggest fights we had was early on when I said, oh, I just want to let you know I'm taking all of our savings out of the bank account and I'm starting this baby blanket business. He's like, you know what? Say it and again. He, yes. And his response to that was, what the, you know, well, yeah. where's your business plan? I need to see 
business plan. I go, I don't need a business plan. I feel it in my gut. This is There's a big smackdown over that. Um, uh, he got on board very quickly when you know we sold out of what we thought was going to be a year's worth of inventory in the first six weeks, sort of thing. Wow. Um, but and real quick, let me interrupt you on that. So how does that happen? So how do you tell, sell out what you thought was going to be a year? How do you do that in six weeks? Did you get into a major store? Did you get on like a talk show that was big? I mean, how did that happen? Door to door, and and to be clear, our our first order was an MOQ out of China. So the minimum we could amount, like order, which wow. I think was about a $15,000 order. Um, so a few thousand packs each, but the, of each of the three SKUs that we started with. But yeah, so a few thousand packs of blankets that nobody had ever heard of. Nobody in America knew what you were talking about, who you were and Hey, great. It's soft, but I've already got a blanket over here. Big deal. Right. You sold 2000 packages in six weeks. Yes. Door to door. Yes. You ever sit back and think about that? Like that's, that's crazy. Not really. I didn't really. I look, I, I knew, and this is why I started the business because I'd had lots of ideas for businesses over the years and, yeah. and yeah. sort of never really went hard at making it happen. Whereas this one just ticked all the boxes. I knew as a new mum how I couldn't live without it. I knew how every Australian parent used 10 of them a day. I couldn't believe when I went looking for them when I had a nay here in the US that no one had heard of these blankets. Right. And, you know, you, you, for any parent out there now in America, the concept of muslin blankets not being around is just because now there's hundreds of companies yeah. that are doing what Aiden and an A started back in 2006. Um, so I just always knew that all I had to do was get the word out on this product and it, the product would sell itself. Yep. So it, that's where the sales experience came in handy because I was just a machine sort of door to door and we'd, this was back when the, the world was different and Amazon didn't run the world. So right. brick and mortar still mattered. We did trade show. Whenever we did a trade show, we'd pick up a hundred new stores. Wow. So it was people just embraced the product yeah. very quickly. Well, when you got a good product, that makes it a little easier, doesn't it? Exactly. So hard, but very a uh, lot easier. So um, lots of questions on that. But talk to us about how you go from this, you know, big massive company to your vision. Did, did your vision guide you through this whole thing? Or is it literally just, I'm so passionate about the product, I'm just going to sell, 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 and it just blew up? Or did you have a vision of, hey, I want my personal life to look like X, and I want, you know, financially to do Y, and I want to do this for my kids, and, and so on? Look, I know this sounds cliche, but it was not about the money for me. Yeah. It was about, my motivation was, two things. First and foremost, prove to all the people I'd been told for years by that I couldn't do something that I could. Yep. And most importantly, to prove it to myself, because I kind of always knew I was capable of more than what I was doing in my corporate career, but was not being given the opportunity to do more. Actually, I was often being turned down for promotions and things like that. Yeah. And uh, so that was the real motivation for me. I just wanted to prove that I could do it. And again, as I mentioned earlier, 
I really believed in this product. I wanted all mums and parents to have it. So it became sort of someone called me the, you know, the swaddle evangelist at one point. You know, I was so into only use this product, the fabric on your babies. And then, so that was the motivation. It, the, the money part of it and the uh, financial freedom that a very successful business could afford me and my family, that started to become sort of more of a notion once the business had really started to take, you know, get traction and, and scale. And then I was like, wow, like this, this really cool. could be a $100 million business. This is yeah. really just up to me how big I want to make it. And what, what was it? Uh, obviously, I don't think you probably changed as a person when you started making that kind of money. But what was it for you that those, that luxury kind of afforded now? What did, that, what did that change in your life? Didn't change you as a person, but it certainly changed some things in your life. And do, you, do you remember kind of have that aha moment of, gosh, we get to do this now? Yeah, I've, I've never, ever given money power. That's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's never been something I've coveted. It's always, I've always had enough of it, you know, and now I just have a whole lot more of it. Right. Um, and, you know, four kids in New York City, that's a pretty expensive life. And, again, looking back, I'm like, what the hell was I thinking? If I right. hadn't built a $100 million business, we wouldn't have been able to stay in New York City with right. four kids and schools and, you know, an apartment big enough to house them all with two dogs. Right. And, um, so, again, it's more of a hindsight thing, I think, that I went, wow, like that was a whole lot of blind faith that I was just, you know, going along with the flow because had we not made the money that I made from Aiden and A, life as I know it wouldn't be here in New York yep. City. It'd be, you know, God knows where. Somewhere else. You'd yeah. be in St. Louis with me. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Definitely have a much bigger house in St. Louis. That's right. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. So talk to the person right now. They're listening. They got their AirPods in. They're listening. They're thinking about it. Like, you know what? I have this dream. I'm at my quote unquote real job, but I've mm -hmm. got this dream to do my, my blanket deal. Right? right. But I'm really, really scared. I have no money. I've got no connections, but I've got a dream. I've got a gut feeling. I've got a passion. What advice would you give that person? The first thing that pops into my mind, if I can do it, you can do it. <laughs> Yeah. Because, again, I go back to so average and people say to me, oh, that's ridiculous. I go, no, no, that's because I've done what I've done. If you had met me at the beginning of this right. journey, you would have been like, yeah, you're pretty average, you know. So, <laughs> yeah. so I would say that the – and we we touched on this, I think, before we started to, to film, that the biggest mistake most people make is that they have an idea and they don't – they don't follow through with it. And the reason they don't follow through with it is, in my opinion, because they're like, well, I have no idea what I'm doing. You know, you, you have an idea and you, you know, I didn't know how to make muslin blankets out of China. Yeah. You know, I joke and say literally to the first sort of 20 million, I just Googled my way through it all. <laughs> you know, I just 
worked it out as I went along. So I had no experience in manufacturing or the only experience I had was in sales and I'd never sold anything in the baby space. So it was all very new to me. Um, So I would say don't be put off by the fact that you don't know what you're doing going into it. I actually think that might be a better thing because if you knew, you'd probably second guess yourself because you'd sort of go, well, that's been done before and why, you know, that didn't work. It was the fact that I was so naive to some degree that I think made me so successful because in my mind I could do anything. There was no, oh, no one's going to buy that or no one's going to agree with that. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely don't worry that you don't know literally anything. True story. I was on the phone to a buyer from one of the big major baby stores pitching the the product in the early stages and I'd sent samples and the buyer said to me, you know what, we are intrigued, you know, we're interested could you send me over a line sheet and, you know, we'll, we'll be in touch. I went, absolutely fabulous, no problem, hung up the phone and then had to Google what a line sheet was. I didn't even have a, <laughs> you know, but again, right, right. right. So it's a very long way of saying don't worry that you don't know everything and um, if you're prepared to work harder than you ever thought you were capable of working, and you really passionately believe in your idea, whether it's a product or a service, you see an opportunity, you've just got to go for it. And no matter all the curveballs that are thrown at you, and there's going to be many, just don't ever give up. It's really as simple and as difficult as that. Well, I hope that person, just one person could hear that and, and make that decision to, to take that first step. And I, and I would just even go a step further. We started our company five and a half years ago. And, you know, my wife was eight months pregnant with our fourth child. We had just built a, a new home, you know, probably six, 15 months before that, you know, three other kids, right? I was making great money and you're going to just go away and, and go back to scratch to start something. And I, and I remember my wife saying, Brett, is this the right time? And I said, no, this is a terrible time. Right. But when it's in your heart and your gut and your mind and you know and you're going to work harder than anybody and you have a passion for wanting to serve clients a certain way, it's going to happen, right? And so I think, would you agree with that? The timing is never right. So to that same person listening, sometimes you do have to trust your gut and just make the move and make it happen. You absolutely do. And if you, you, know, if you sit quietly with yourself and go, I really believe in this idea and you're a person that isn't scared of hard work, absolutely go for it because to your point, Brett, never, never the perfect time. That's right. So talk to us about what you're doing now. You got St. Luna Spirits. Talk to us about that. Give us a little lowdown of what's going on there. Yeah. I've, uh, I've sort of gone off in the most, non-obvious direction from baby blankets. I now am the co-founder of the boutique moonshine company. Holy smokes. So, uh, yeah. So we're, uh, we just launched in May of this year and the premise really was we wanted to sort of try and elevate moonshine 
beyond how people currently know it and think of it and uh, you know create a product that served in five star bars and restaurants and seen much more of a premium liquor and our distiller which is a fabulous story but too long for for here I found while I was making skincare for Aidan and Danae and he is a chemist who had been working on a moonshine recipe for over a decade and just kind of fell out of the sky right at the right time for me when I was starting to think about what might be next. Yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, so started this with my COO from David, from, from Aiden and Anae, and, uh, yeah, having a good time with it back in the like, trenches. I got a lot of questions on that, but, we'll, like you said, it's probably, that's another, that's the Moonshine podcast, right? right? right. But, but I will ask this, and I because I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by this stuff and you hear it all the time, is clearly you could not work, right? You could not go out and build a business and be just fine financially and do those things, but that's not in your DNA, so what does that drive for you that you think internally says, you know what? Yeah, let's go out and risk it. Let's go out and build something else. Right. What is that about you? Well, I, I have had a couple of experiences in my life where I was, let's say, idle, you mm-hmm. know, where I didn't have anything really that I was focused on. It's definitely not good for me. Downtime yep. with not a lot to focus on. And after leaving or getting fired from Aiden and NA, the, you know, I fell into a hole and then eventually climbed out of the hole yep. and then found myself effectively my children's personal assistant. You know? <laughs> and as, as a noble a job as that is, and I take my hat off to all stay-at-home mums because it is by far... It's tough the hardest job in the world. It, it makes running a $100 million business look like a walk in the park, seriously. <laughs> right. So I am, um, as much as I really am loving being able to be around the girls more often, I just needed more, you know, yeah. I needed to, and I love to create, you know, I also am, uh, and I get in trouble for saying this by especially the women entrepreneurial community. I am much happier building a business in the early stages than running it at a hundred million. Yep. I, I'm clear. I'm not saying I can't run a hundred million dollar sure, business. Sure. I can. What I'm saying is that I don't enjoy it as much yep. as the creative process of building a business from nothing into yep. something. That's yep. where my, that's where my real passion is. Yep. Well, that's cool. And I, and I got to give a shout out to my wife, Julie, who she has, you know, been a stay at home mom for the last, you know, 13, 14 years. And it is the toughest job in the world oh, and uh, raising four boys or in your case, four girls, but she just started a company. She just started an interior wow, design company. Awesome. So it's really cool to see, and that's not her background, but you know, she's probably done, I don't know, nine or 10 jobs now already for people and clients. And it's just really cool to see her blossom into this entrepreneur and building a business and seeing yeah. what that's like. And so it's, she's it is fun to watch. Right? What's that? She's found her passion. She has. Absolutely. Yeah. Her and her friend, Amy Weinhoff, they, uh, they were both born on the exact same day, April 20th. And so now they call it 2020 designs and it's just really cool Very to watch cool. them. So anyway, I digress, but what, what, what's that one risk? If you had to say just one, the one risk that you're happy you took. Well, the risk of actually doing it, I would yep. say. And yep. 
the there was definitely a moment where I was starting to find myself being uh, I don't want to say crippled, but it was consuming. The fear of failure was yeah. starting to consume me, and I I'll never forget this. I just sort of took a moment to myself and went, "What are you doing? Like, stop this!" And as soon as I made, and again, this sounds a bit cliche, but it's true, and it was a real moment for me. As soon as I made peace with the fact that statistically there was way more chance of me failing at this than there was me turning it into a $100 million business, right? And when I sort of sat there quietly and went, well, I'd rather try and fail and give it my absolute best shot knowing that I did and then go, well, I gave it a good go and it didn't work out, then not try because I was scared of that potentially happening. And as soon as I gave in to that and made peace with it, it just freed me and and all bets were off then because I had nothing to lose. Well, you're leading me right down the path, which is a great segue into my question. I love this question. It's one of my favorite to do with everybody on the show, but of all the fears you put in your mind, right? I'm going to go bankrupt. It's going to fail. I'm going to be, you know, living on the streets or whatever they were, right? How many of the fears you put in your mind actually blew up to the magnitude you put them in your mind to be? That would be a big fat zero. Amen. Amen. (laughs) And that's what everybody says. And it's so true, right? And even the ones that may, you think are going to happen, don't. Other ones still happen, right? There's bad things that obviously happen building a business, but I think it's how you respond to those things are never as bad as what you think it's going to be either, right? Exactly. Well, you're talking to someone that got fired from her own business after a decade of living and breathing it by people that I gave the controlling interest to, albeit for a lot of money, but still. Right. And, um, you know, and and I'm not going to say it definitely knocked me for a six and I curled up in a ball for a little while, but I'm back and now I'm doing something different and something that I'm enjoying and you know that was probably out of the entire well not probably definitely the worst thing that happened in the entirety of of starting and and building Aiden and Nene and look I'm still here to tell the tale and right. so I think I've got the next title of your next book you ready yeah. Yeah. from blankets to booze yeah <laughs> <laughs> Or even better, from babies to booze. And there you go, from babies to booze. That's why you drink, because of the baby, right? Exactly. Anyone who has four kids gets that completely, right? Exactly. Like, I wasn't going to have a drink today, but I think I'm going to have a drink today because of the dang kids. Yeah. Um, So what do you want people to wake up, you know, 50 years, 100 years from now? What do they say about Reagan Moya Jones? Well... As a mum of four girls, they're sort of my North Star, right? So I take it very seriously that I am their role model, whether, you know, they're listening to me or not. So with me, with Aiden and Anae, I've always sort of gone, well, I want to be sitting in a bar with those four girls drinking a St. Luna cocktail now. (laughs) Champagne prior to this, but a cocktail and being able to say to them, look at that, you know, global brand that's worth way more than a hundred million dollars, doing way more than a hundred million in revenue. Do you know that I built that while you were all sleeping soundly as little kids in the middle of the night? Mm. And if I can do it, you can do it. Like, you know, 
the world is your oyster. If you, right. whatever you want, you can have it if you're prepared to work hard enough for it. So, but that's but awesome. Yeah, that's um, so I guess you know, I, I want to be remembered first and foremost as a kick ass mum that yeah. raised four fabulous young women who went on to do things that made what I do look pretty insignificant. That's phenomenal. So you maybe when you said something, but I'm very passionate about this word choice. Uh, I believe everything is a choice, right? And even as little as, as my kids, it probably annoys them, but they're like, oh, I can't put my seatbelt on. I'm like, you're right. You can't. I'm like, if you think you can, you can't. If you think you can, you can't, right? And uh, yeah, I think it was Henry Ford that said that. But it's so true, right? So when you think of the word choice, what comes to mind for you? Well, the thing is, that's, I, that is exactly what I sort of, dare I say, shove down my daughter's throats constantly. Yeah. You have the power to do anything you want with your mind. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Yep. So it's all within you. It's got nothing to do with anyone else. It's That's right. The choice of whether you can or you can't is internal. So just make sure you make the right choice because right. I know you can do anything you want to, anything you set your mind to, including driving your mother to the point of wanting to hurl herself off the terrace. But <laughs> exactly. that's also another podcast, right? Because that happens too. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, but that is that is what I would say about choice. It's an internal thing. We all have the power yep. to do it. Uh, it's just, it's just what you decide is going to become your reality. Yeah. And I think it's, it's cool to hear you talk about that with the kids and in the, uh, obviously joking about throwing yourself off the terrace, even though it crosses your mind, but it's like, cause we're all that way. Right. And I think so many times we want to have this perfect life, but man, it's crazy. Right. And I, and I think it's not whether you, whether you have two kids or four kids or eight kids, I mean, it's nuts, right? And sometimes mommy or daddy just needs a little, I just need a little walk by myself, right? I need a little breathing time. And so, exactly. yeah, it's important. But I think you also talked about doing it in the middle of the night and all that stuff. But how did you stay a student in the game or how do you? Are you a big reader, a thinker, a journaler? What do you do? I definitely have, um, I stopped reading while I was running Aiden and an A. Yeah. Um, but I was always learning from people, you know, right. I'm, I, I am never embarrassed to admit I don't know something. So I'm always the girl at the table going, hang on, I don't get that. Can you explain that to me? And I'm, you know, student of life. Having, after being fired and not having to run the day-to-day -day anymore, I have for the first time in a very long time started to put back in terms of give back to me. Yeah. So I've, I've started to do online courses i'm reading a lot more i'm I've, I've recently learned transcendental meditation which i couldn't say enough great things about yep. so it's a very different stage in my life but i've um i've realized how much you need to try and at least give yourself something back but yep. in terms of being a student i would say a student of life for sure, and always, always trying to learn. Well, tell us about that PhD, which is what you've done today, because that's what you've got in life, right? The PhD. So right. talk to us about this book. This book is uh, well, doing very well. What a beast. What a beast the book was. The, the funniest part about the book, well, wasn't funny for my publisher, was <laughs> I, had, I had finished the book 
once and then got fired. So I had to make the call to my publisher and be like, oh, sorry, sorry. just yeah. got fired today. So I have to rewrite the end of the book. Um, but again, the reason I wrote it was because I really, truly, passionately want people to know that if I can do it, anyone can do it. You know, I, I'm never the smartest person in the room. I'm never the most connected. Yeah. I'm not the most creative. None of those things. I'm just someone that's prepared to work really hard. And we all have that in us. Right. So I wanted the book to be, it's a very raw, honest book, but I wanted to write it that way so people hopefully can put that down and go, damn, I really could do this, you know. Right. So it was designed to be a motivational tool for people who are maybe not sure whether or not they can, but I'm telling them that they can. They absolutely can. And we can get, find that on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, everything, right? Yeah, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, my website, just Reagan Moy Jones. So it's around. So. All right. Well, we'll put a link to that in the show notes and make sure we get uh, people to drive that way and, and buy some books. Um, where can our listeners find more of you? I got one more question, but I want to get the social media stuff and your website and all that stuff plugged here. Where can we find more of you? You mentioned your website. ReaganMoyJones.com and then my Instagram handle is just yep. ReaganMoyJones. I'm easy to find. Yeah, and you do a great job responding. I sent you the message and I think within like an hour we were scheduled and you get a great team and uh, yeah. it's awesome to see wow. what you're doing. So uh, I, I lied. I said I have one more question. I got two more questions. So okay. besides uh, maybe somebody of a higher power, um, if, you, if I made you trade places with somebody for the day or just go have dinner with them, whatever it may be, who is that person and why? Wow, that's a good question. Uh, I'm going to say my husband. Hmm. So understand? <laughs> that's a great most, one. Most of the Why time, the hell does she think that way, or yeah, he think that exactly. way, right? Like you know, maybe if he was me for a day and I was him for a day, that's we a would great answer. understand each other a little bit better. I might have just changed my answer. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I think that's a great, I like that. I like yeah. that. And then, uh, well now I forgot my other question I was going to ask you, but, Oh, well, if you could go back to 2006 and give yourself some feedback, what feedback would you give that person? Or if you could tell your daughters, which you probably have, but what feedback would you give to them, to yourself from 2006? This is going to sound really obnoxious, but there wouldn't be much that I would change even the shitty bits because yeah. It ultimately led me to the only regret I had was selling the controlling interest of my business too early where I was still passionately involved in it and just didn't think through what could happen when I no longer had the, the controlling interest. So maybe, um, maybe I would say don't trust everybody at face value which I try very hard to do because I'm a big believer in till someone does the wrong thing by me then right. I'm always going to see the good in someone right but I have definitely made some mistakes with being too trusting that's amazing so I'm, I'm sitting here sick in my head because you you obviously very successful Chip Wilson we talked about this earlier the founder of Lululemon 
I asked him the same question. He said the exact same thing, right? Exactly. Yeah. And he said about, you know, you, you build this thing up, right? Your baby, whether it's a hundred million or I think they were doing billions of dollars of sales. Right. And he's like, I sold my interest. And he's like, and he had more money than he's ever going to know what to do with, right? For generations. But exactly. it came down to the fact that you got rid of something way too early and it's your baby, right? Exactly. So I think that's good advice for people that maybe there's big business owners right now contemplating that, right? I'm trusting exactly. that person across the board, board table and saying, hey, I think I'm going to sell out. I'm going to have a lot of money, but then you're always missing something. Yes, and, and just remember you're in a sale process. They're telling you what you want to hear so yeah. that they and you know get the deal done yeah and no matter what anyone's telling you know that as soon as the ink is dry they then have control and all bets are off so my advice to all entrepreneurs out there is if you still want to be actively involved in your business and running it and being the visionary just be very, very, very careful who you sell the controlling interest to. Well, it's been awesome having you on the circuit of success. And I like how you just said visionary because that's the name of our company, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but it's been great having you Reagan and I really enjoyed uh, our time together today and just the wisdom you just gave our listeners from somebody super successful. Uh, and thanks for just being approachable and uh, being so easy to get on the show here. It's people like you while we get to do what we do. So thank you very much. A pleasure and uh, all the best with what you're doing. Much more success, I hope, coming your way. Amen. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Tune in next week for another episode of The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm. 